Well, around this time of year, uh, I look in my lawn and I see all these holes. And it is where squirrels have dug up acorns that they buried uh, in the fall so that they would have some food for winter. And that always reminds me of a story about Frederick the Mouse. Uh, has anybody read the story about Frederick the Mouse? It's, it's, a, wor it's a worthwhile read. Uh, Frederick uh, really aggravated his mouse community when instead of engaging in gathering uh, grains for winter, he decided to write poetry. And you could see why that would have been irritating to his mouse community later on. Uh, but actually, as it turns out, winter unfolds, it gets dreary, food supplies are running low, and finally the mice turn to Frederick and ask him for what he has collected. And then, of course, he turns to them and speaks to them in these beautiful word pictures about the beauty and bounty of the summer world that they had known and that they would know again. And actually, as I came in and I looked on the floor and I see these little glittering bits here and there and some balloons up on the ceiling, I see evidence of a bit of a glimmering, glorious world that some of you, I think, enjoyed last night, which is a big party. Were there some of you here last night or yeah, at a big party? Well, the picture that Luke gives us of Jesus transfigured, his face altering, his clothing become dazzling white, is a vision that his disciples, Peter, James, and John, you know, the special ones, they were the ones that he really invited into the deepest part of his inner life. They needed to store that away in their memories so that they would be fortified to face the ordeal that was going to come, so that they could be reassured by the memory of what was most true, how they had seen Jesus revealed in unmistakable glory, so they could hang in there because they knew that everything they ever did on behalf of the kingdom of heaven, which he was teaching them, was going to be worth it. Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name on account of me. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. In that vision, they saw Jesus in glory and standing next to him, were two prophets who had died hundreds of years before, Moses and Elijah. And there they were, apparently just chatting to Jesus, you know, alive and well. And that must have been kind of encouraging, if strange. Peter, James, and John had gotten a glimpse, a preview of the happily ever after illustration, you know, that comes at the end of the story. I don't know if you've ever been with a child reading and it's getting pretty dark in there in those middle pages. And you give them a peek of what's coming at the end. And if any of those men had questioned, well, did we really see it? Was it really Jesus? Well, they had witnesses, didn't they? 
to ask for the rest of their lives. Yes, Peter, that's exactly what we saw. That is what we saw. And not only that, in that very moment, they had Jesus, who was supernaturally appeared glimmering, but then he was very real Jesus, right next to them, walking down the mountain with them, getting them along on their next calling. Now, of course, as it turned out, when Jesus took these same three men to pray with him a couple of weeks later in Gethsemane, well, they were not able to stand with him. When the guards came and arrested Jesus, they fled. They had temporarily forgotten the vision. You know, they hadn't picked up one of these glimmering bits and put it in their pockets so they could look at it and say, I can stand here. It's worth it because Jesus really is the Son of God. They had temporarily forgotten the vision. They had not quite properly understood when Jesus had told them three times that laying down his life was all part of the plan. It was actually going to pertain to them as well. They hadn't focused on the bit where the two prophets, remember Elijah and Moses, they were talking to Jesus about what? His departure. His depart it wasn't just a flight out to L.A. or something. It was, a, it was a big departure they were talking about. And so in a flash, out of fear, they forgot the vision. But after the resurrection, after seeing Jesus once more, they remembered. And they were able to recognize how God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and this is the amazing part, had included them, these three guys, from Galilee, three fishermen, by bringing them into the great plan of salvation. Think about it. Three guys brought in to the conversation between God the Father, the voice in the cloud, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. This is what we're going to do. Save the world. You're going to be part of it. I mean, it could have been, you know, three flight attendants from Delta. And actually, ultimately, it is. God so dignifies us by bringing us into his salvation story. Anyway, they had heard the plan and seen and heard how God would glorify his son. And they had been given instructions by God in an audible voice. Most of us don't get that, you know, the voice in the cloud, but they did. And at the center of the mysterious gospel story from Luke are the words that come from the cloud saying... This is my son, my chosen. And do we any of us remember what the last bit was? Listen to him. Listen to him. Why is it so hard to listen to Jesus? We have a whole book teaching about him. He comes to us in his spirit to instruct us personally, and we're surrounded by so many believers. But it's hard, isn't it, to really listen to Jesus? And not just hear, but actually do. Well, of course, we're overwhelmed. We are easily distracted. You set aside some time to be alone with the Lord, and how quickly an urgent task interrupts, or an old worry presents itself, and we get caught up in that, or we just realize the news, the reality of our world. We get distracted from that intimate conversation with Jesus. 
And just a quick antidote to that, or at least the one that I have found to be the most effective in, uh, in that kind of distraction, a small group that you pray with. You just set aside time to be with a small group of Christians, and you say, we're going to pray and listen to the Lord together, and we're going to read scripture. I don't know of a better solution to that kind of distraction. Jesus obviously sets that example himself when he brings Peter, James, and John with him up the mountain. In some ways, they are witnesses too for him. At the heart of the Christian life is listening to Jesus together. This is how we see progress in our journey of faith. So the first thing, it's difficult to listen to Jesus because we get distracted. Second, we don't trust that what we hear is actually him. At a basic level, Jesus is incredibly consistent. He's not going to say something that doesn't kind of match up with what he says in Scripture. So one way to test what we think we might be hearing from him is to see if it matches up with what he has revealed in Scripture already. He's pretty much not going to say, yeah, sure, go ahead. Look out for your own interests first. How do we know he's not going to say that? Because he says, those who follow me will lift up their cross daily. But the voice of Jesus is also personal and time-sensitive to particular circumstances. So sometimes we have to test what we hear. And once again, a good way to do this is in the context of a small group of mature Christians that you trust. And that's really important. They have to actually be believers. There can be people who love you so much, but you need people who are wise in the faith to be around you, to help you discern the voice of Jesus in your life. But beyond our distractions and our confusions, I think the most common reason that it is hard to listen to Jesus is that we're afraid it's going to be too costly. We're afraid he will ask us to give up we love what we love. And I'm not just talking about chocolate during Lent, although that will be hard for some of us. We're afraid it's going to be too costly, and he's going to ask us to take on more than we can handle. And you know what? These are well-grounded fears for the saints of God. Because when you look at the lives of great saints, they usually gave up a great deal. And they took on a great deal. Just uh, yesterday, we, uh, 25 of us were in Montgomery uh, at the, memorial for, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And the leader of that project, the vision behind that was Brian Stevenson, who wrote the book Just Mercy. Wonderful man, but he tells a story uh, of the time when he was in Montgomery and he was invited by uh, Mrs. Carr to tea with another lady, and oh, this other lady named Rosa Parks. So there's Brian Stevenson with Rosa Parks and this other lady, and eventually uh, Rosa Parks says, now, Mr. Stevenson, do tell me, what is it that you plan to do in Montgomery? And he goes on elaborating all the ways, basically how he's going to make the justice system, which he has pledged to serve, more just. And she looks at him. And, uh, and actually, it's not Rosa. It's uh, Mrs. Carr. And she puts his finger in his face. And she says, mm, mm, mm. 
she says. All that? She said, well, that is going to make you tired, tired, tired. Which is why you have to be brave, brave, brave. And he said, in that moment, he said, they made me feel like a young prince, the saints of God, reminding him of the vision of what is most true and most good. Well, so despite the fact that, yes, it will be costly, and yes, you'll be asked to do more than you could imagine you could do, the good news is that listening to the voice of Jesus is good. It's good, good, good. It takes time. It flows out of believing that his intention for us is loving, is more beautiful than we could imagine. Ignatius of Loyola says that sin is not trusting that what God wants is our deepest happiness. It's true. Every time then you think, God, are you really going to make me happy? I don't know, God. This looks hard. I, I'd rather go on vacation. I've thought that. But God does know our truest happiness. And he is good, good, good. Imagine and remember the vision of the full glory of Jesus. Know that what he has invited you into in his saving plan is good. Find a small group of Christians if you don't already have one. That will be invaluable when the going gets rough. And above all, rejoice that the battle is won by our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen.